talking about misery? I'm pretty sure that's what we said last week. Well, we better get on with the cock duty Podcast. Welcome back to TripleCast as we continue our special GSM crossover with Chester's Mill Gazette host, Karen. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Here to talk about misery this week. Very exciting. Misery, misery. The most graphic of the three Stephen King movies. Good thing we put it right in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to balance it out That's right Very nice Well, let's kick off the show where we always start with trailers that we saw this week Yeah, I watched a chain of them Yeah, you got a few there, good on you I do Um, A couple of them in the same vein I watched The Duff, which stands for, oh goodness um, It's the Hillary Duff story No, (laughs) it stands for, oh, what does it stand for? Something Ugly Fat Friend Ooh. Yeah, it's it's the girl. Oh, you'd recognize her. She's been in a lot of stuff. But um her she's friends with a guy, okay? But she's also best friends with these other two girls and they're like really hot. Right. Okay, and she's kind of plain. And the guy who she's been friends with forever tells her that she's the duff. Okay, the, the designated ugly fat friend. That's it. Thank you. I just Googled it. Thank you. And what's her name? There's Bella Thorne. Okay. You'd, you'd know her, right? Yes. There's a few people in this. Bella yeah. Thorne, May But Whitman, the lead. Meg Whitman. That's her. Yeah. That's the lead. Robbie, uh, um, Robbie Amell. Okay, Robbie Amell. That's the, yeah, Stephen Amell's cousin or whatever. Yeah. Relation. Yeah. Yeah. I think oh, Allison Janney's in it. Oh, yes, she plays um, the mother of the girl. So anyway, this guy tells her that she's the duff and she thanks him. You know, she finally understands why, you know, she's like the, the best friend of these two girls, that they have befriended her because she's, you know, she makes them look better. You know? <laughs> and it looked interesting. So I watched it. It actually looks kind of good. Cool. And Spy, which is on the same vein. It stars yes. uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy. Yes, Travis and I have uh, talked about this in a previous episode, but yeah, um, yeah, it looks good. Uh, it looks funny, of course, created by Paul Fag. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in that, and then Chappie, Chappie, which was created by the person that wrote District Nine. Uh, right? District Nine, thank you. Yes, mm. um, looks really interesting, and Minions, Minions, yay. I Very can't wait cute. for that one to come out. Yeah, that looks that looks like a lot of fun. Really great with the voice <laughs> talents of Sandra Bullock. Oh, really? Sandra Bullock and John Hamm. <laughs> as the be new voices in this. Yeah. I didn't know so, that. So I'm really looking forward to at least Minions and I think the Duff although it's kind of it skews younger, it's mm. kind of got that best friends that fall in love with each other thing that I dig, so mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm probably gonna watch it. <laughs> it's a chick thing, right? Yeah, and I'm probably gonna see Chappie too because I really like District yeah. Nine. Yeah, so. totally. Well, you know, it was the uh, Super Bowl Sunday mm-hmm. last week, so that meant a lot of awesome new trailers. A lot of trailers for like yes. Jurassic World. Yep. Um, the Terminator Genesis one didn't really have a lot of extra stuff in it, which nah. was a shame. It was very surface. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for something new that we haven't mentioned on the show yet, I did want to mention Tomorrowland. 
Yes, I saw that a couple of weeks ago, and I was very intrigued. Yeah, it's like you know, there's that lead actress. I can't remember her name. Yes, she was in. She was in Under the Dome. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Angie. Angie. She was. I. You know, I always see her around and right on point. I can't say I liked <laughs> Angie a lot on Under the Dome. She was no. okay, but she's a good actress. Yeah. So when I, I like saw her. it was her, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. But I watched the trailer, and it looks really interesting. It looks great. Um, it's based on the portion of the Disney theme park with the same name. Kind oh, of. I've been there. Yep. Tomorrow. I didn't know that. Thank you. It's very. Very loosely based on it. Yeah, kind of like I how mean, Pirates was loosely based on the ride. Very loosely yeah. based, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of a, a sketch for uh, basing the movie on something. Yeah, but, you know, you got your, your sci-fi and your weird land and your yeah. George, George Clooney, so. Right. I'm interested. I just, I like how when she bends down, the world just changes immediately. It's very cool. Yeah, it's a, that is a cool effect. Yeah, I I was intrigued as well. But I didn't see it this week, or I would have added it. I saw it, I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Something yeah, like I pretty much just put in a, a Google search for all Super Bowl commercials, because we don't oh. get them here in Australia. Oh, you know, they so don't you just, just watch Yeah, they don't there. air the live Super Bowl here. It's yeah. Not a, big thing of course uh, not yeah you can find a nice yes yeah, s- someone will just list all like the really good stuff yeah i watched clips of the super bowl but i was doing other stuff on sunday so <laughs> yeah i know it's heresy <laughs> i wasn't watching it <laughs> but uh, yeah, i had do? other stuff to do so yeah well in theaters this week nothing unfortunately no, for me but i wanted to bring up kingsman the Secret Service. Yeah, my husband really wants to go see that. Yeah, I brought up the trailer for this a few months back now. It is amazing. Is it? It is so amazing. Being a, a spy movie, it kind of plays on that old school James Bond kind of thing. Like they throw in some tropes here or there and it's really well integrated and it's funny and it's actiony. It's Yeah, it's the whole package. It's well worth checking out. Those are good tropes to throw around. Yeah, you know, and it's... I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like it's not campy like uh, like an Austin Powers or something like that where they overtly right. make fun of stuff. It's just sort right. of like thrown in there and integrated real well. Like maybe a sly wink? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah they had a free screening of it at the Alamo Cinema and Draft House right up the street from us, but it sold out in like... Well, I say sold out, but they actually like had slots. Mm. That you had to sign up for. And it was only for the people that had their like preferred, they call it a preferred viewer card. Right. Where yeah. if they, you do go, that, yeah, some, they do that. Yeah, they do that over here. And so when I went there, it was like, I went there like 20 minutes after I got the email and it was already sold out. Oh, geez. So, yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, I didn't get to go to that. No, that's a shame. But uh, Sean wants to go see that. Oh, Sean is my husband, by the way. <laughs> Sorry mm. about that. I usually call him Hubs. He doesn't mind if I say his name. But he's hubs. He might get some stalkers now because people know who he is. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I've said his name before. He might enjoy stalkers. I don't know. Never know until you try it. That's right. Okay. And um, we didn't pick up anything new on DVD or Blu-ray this week. Actually, I have pre-ordered some. Ooh. If that counts. Birdman. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's that one? The big whatever, Nine. The Big Six. Oh, Big Hero Six. Thank you, Big Hero Six. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, I pre-ordered those. So when do I get them? Like a week or so? week and a half? Around Valentine's Day. If you got good postage, which we don't in Australia, so... Yeah, I'll get them the day of release. 
<laughs> awesome. So, yeah. Or earlier, if they have that big stuff up, like, but that last season of Doctor Who, when they shipped it, like, oh, yeah, maybe. Before, like, the last two episodes aired or something. <laughs> maybe, and yeah. Was like, We've seen it before. Who knows? Mm. Yeah. Well, getting into this week's movie, which is Misery from 1990. Did you have any movie memories for this? You know. I'm thinking back, and honestly, I don't remember a lot about when I saw this. I just remember I read the book, and this was about the time I was reading Stephen King along with watching the movies. Yeah. Before this, like, you know, The Dead Zone, I hadn't read the story. It was a short story. I hadn't read the story at the same time as watching the movie, but I had read Misery along with seeing the movie, and there were differences, so I was you know, comparing and contrasting. And one of the main differences is with the scene where she hobbles him. Mm-hmm. And I, I still, every time I watch it, I compare it in my mind to the scene in the book. And it's so vivid in my mind. Yeah. Because the scene in the book is just as vivid, vivid, but in a different way. Um, and that's one of my main memories when I watch it is I just flash back and forth between those two things. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and there's also a scene with the typewriter, and I'm not going to really get into that because it's I know it's your closing line. Mm-hmm. But instead of what happens with the typewriter in the movie, he complains and she cuts off his thumb. Yeah. So Grizzly. <laughs> there, there's a big difference there, too. Well, for me... The first time I saw this was... It's probably in the 90s. Well, it would have to be. Yeah. Right? Well, I, you know, I think... I... <laughs> Couldn't be earlier. <laughs> Well, it wasn't this century. It was last century. Okay. No, there was... Uh, I think I've told this story before. You know, you may call me a, a young whippersnapper, but I'm still <laughs> yeah. old enough to remember the days of the video store. Oh, good. So, you know, when I was in high school and I was really getting into horror, the first place I would go at the video store is the horror section to try and find something that I hadn't seen, you know. Excellent. I got through all the basics, like the Halloween films, Friday the 13th, all that, and I started picking out... Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the horror section is always full of Stephen King stuff. Of course. Even if it's not strictly horror, they always yeah, put stuff there. Exactly. Yeah. Like, maybe the other two films in this series you might find in a different section, like a suspense or... Uh, the gr- Yeah, the Green Mile you might even find in, like, a drama mm-hmm. section or something like that. Yeah, that would be in drama, most likely, yeah. So, I picked this one up, and, yeah, it's it sticks with you. I can't say I've revisited <laughs> no it. A lot. And this is probably the first time I've watched it in maybe 10 years. I think the same here. Yeah. but To be honest. Yeah. I I I remember it, Yeah, I remember the key point. So, yeah, we'll get into it. But um, I guess we may as well get into some film history. Sure. We have written by William Goldman for screenplay and, of course, Stephen King for the novel. William Goldman, author of The Princess Bride. Oh, look at you go. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't know He's one of my favorite screenwriters. That's awesome. So... Mm-hmm. And it's directed by Rob Reiner. The director of The Princess Bride. <laughs> I love Rob Reiner. Me too. And not only as a director, but as an actor as well. I think he's super funny. Yeah. So do you want to take the starring list? Sure. Uh, Paul Sheldon, played by James Caan, who is ever so slightly overshadowed by Kathy Bates' Annie Wilkes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the role that propelled her to uber stardom. Mm, I think we'll talk about that more when we get to awards and we accolades. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Sheriff Buster, 
was played by Richard Farnsworth, a very memorable role for him. And Virginia, played by Frances Steen Sternhagen, also a very memorable role for her. And she's still puttering about. Oh, really? She has a role on Broadway right now, oh, yes. Awesome. Marcia Sindel by the legendary actress Lauren Bacall. Yes, who we only lost at the end of last year. I know. Such a loss, too. God, I loved her. And her voice, so sexy. Yes. <laughs> I know. Even in this movie, at that, at that yes. age. And we have music by Mark Shaman. Yep. Who is a familiar name. Very. He gets around. And we'll get into some of his stuff later, too. Some some interesting things that he's done. And we have a budget of $20 million with a worldwide box office, $61 million. 200,000 and some change, so pretty good. A really good take for his, one of his movies, definitely. Made its money thrice over. <laughs> well, <laughs> awards and accolades, here we go. Academy Awards USA 91, it won Best Actress in our leading role for Kathy Bates. Yep, yep. And it was only last week we were saying how the Academy doesn't really give out awards to horror films and maybe something like A Silence of the Lambs would be an exception. Yet here we are this week, Kathy Bates. Yeah, this was an exception. <laughs> well deserved, though. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> she definitely inhabited this role. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, creepy. Yeah, well, it was hard to believe she wasn't Annie Wilkes. Yeah, she, she, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. She is Annie Wilkes. All right. So Golden Globes USA 91 won Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture Drama, Kathy Bates. So mm-hmm. that's Deja vu. Two, two over. Yeah. And the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films USA 92. Of course, better known as the Saturns. No wins, but it was nominated. Best Horror Film, Best Actor James Kahn, Best Actress Kathy Bates, Best Supporting Actress Frances Sternhagen, and Best Writing for William Goldman. Mm-hmm. I agree with all of those, by the way. They all should have won, mm-hmm. but ah, whatever. Who needs a Saturn when you've got a Golden Globe and an Academy yeah, Award? That's true. Frances Sternhagen is, I just love her. She's always that kind of a uh, salty witty kind of snappy old lady yeah. i just i dig her she's very cool <laughs> plus she's really like she wanted sex with her husband through the whole movie which i dug so much it was great <laughs> yeah great character when you're in this car you're my deputy you're not my wife <laughs> so great i laughed so hard at that line i know well, this movie is available on Netflix, DVD, Amazon Streaming for rent or purchase, and iTunes for purchase only. So, uh, you know, not too hard to find. Nope. Yep. I had this on DVD already. Just cool. sitting on my shelf, dusted it off. Excellent. I acquired a copy. Very nice. To watch. <laughs> All right. So getting into the main feature, would you like to take the plot? Sure. It's from IMDb, best-selling novelist Paul Sheldon is on his way home from his Colorado hideaway after completing his latest book when he crashes his car in a freak blizzard. Paul is critically injured but is rescued by former nurse Annie Wilkes, Paul's number one fan, who takes Paul back to her remote house in the mountains without bothering to tell anybody. Unfortunately for Paul, Annie is also a head case putting it mildly. <laughs> That's my editor's note. 
When she discovers that Paul has killed off the heroine in her favorite novels, her reaction leaves Paul shattered. Literally. Dum, dum, dum. That's right. And the heroine in her favorite novels is called Misery. Yes, Misery Chastain. That's right. Thus the title of the movie. And that leads to a lot of great dialogue when they're talking about the character Misery. Meaning multiple terms. That's right. Plus she (laughs) named her pig Misery. (laughs) All right, some production notes and trivia. After refusing to speak about his motivations for writing Misery for two decades, Stephen King finally came out and stated that it is indeed about his battle with substance abuse. Kathy Bates' character is a representation of his dependency on drugs and what it did to his body, making him feel alone, separated from everything, while hobbling any attempts he made at escape. In his statement, he said he didn't come out with it at the time because he wasn't ready and because he was afraid it would detract from the story. Good for him, I say. Yes. For at least coming out with it at some point and for not letting it take away from the story. That's strong. I remember when I watched Maximum Overdrive, which is the one and only film that he directed. (laughs) I did see an interview where he just blatantly comes out that he was on cocaine the whole time making that movie. And it shows. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That movie is something else. It really is. I can't stand that movie. It's the worst. (laughs) As of 2014, this is the only Stephen King adaptation to receive an Academy Award. Mm. As of 2015, no. In 1991, Kathy Bates became the first woman to win an Oscar for Best Actress in a Horror Thriller for her role as Annie Wilkes. The first performer to win an Oscar for a horror film was Frederick March for his performance as the title character in the 1931 version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The only other winner for acting in a horror film was Ruth Gordon for her performance as Mia Farrow's new neighbor with a hidden agenda in Rosemary's Baby, 1968. Best Supporting Actress of 1968. That was a good year. Yeah, that was a good year. Of course, Mm -hmm. like we mentioned, there is... Silence of the Lambs, but that wouldn't come along for another two years after this film. That's right. So, yeah, it's very interesting indeed. The guy who went mad in a hotel nearby, that's in quotes, is a reference to The Shining, 1980, also based on a novel written by Stephen King. That's right. Based in Colorado as well. Yes. And one of Stephen King's first typewriters had a malfunctioning N key, just like the one used by James Caan in the movie. I love little details like that. Mm-hmm, me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so according to the director Rob Reiner, Annie Wilkes' killing spree is loosely based on that of Janine Jones, a nurse who is believed to have killed as many as 50 children who were in her care over a two-year period. I do not like little facts like that. Mm, that's <laughs> quite full on. Yeah, gross. In a recent interview with Melvin Bragg, William Goldman revealed that few actors wanted the role of Paul Sheldon because Annie Wilkes overshadowed him so much as a character. Duh. <laughs> Warren Beatty commented before declining that the hobbling scene made Paul Sheldon quote, a loser for the rest of the film, unquote. Goldman was determined to keep that scene in the film as it was his favorite from the Stephen King novel. Although 
yeah, it was different in the novel, but whatever. According to William Goldman's book, Four Screenplays, which is a really great book if you're into writing, by the way, just so you know, I've read it. Cool. That's, again, my editorial comment. The main character role, Paul Sheldon, was offered to all these actors. Oh, I love lists like this. Yep. William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, and the aforementioned Warren Beatty, all of whom declined. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Crazy. Can you imagine how many of them are kicking themselves that they weren't in this movie? Yeah, but you, know, you have to give it up to Warren Beatty, though. He called it. Well, yeah, that's true. But still, I mean, James Caan... Is remembered. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. He gives a great performance in this movie. Yeah. He wasn't completagreed overshadowed. He did a great job in this. But, yeah, I mean. The Academy He disagrees. wasn't going to get an Academy Award <laughs> for this. I mean, yeah. And he was always intended in the novel to be an amalgam of King's scariest fans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your number one fan, Paul. And if there's one thing that King does really well, it's integrating his own personal life in, right. into his stories. More often than not, a main character is a writer or somehow connected to a writing profession. Mm -hmm. It's usually set in Maine, where he's from. Right. So to have this little bit of info about integrating things like fans into a story um, yeah. doesn't surprise me at all. Crazy fans. <laughs> Can you imagine the fans he's had if this is an amalgam of fans? <laughs> uh, I, I hope this isn't an average of his fans. Mm. Because if there are crazier ones and less crazy ones. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, Kathy Bates reportedly was disappointed that a scene was cut in which she kills a young police officer by rolling over him repeatedly with a lawnmower. Director Rob Reiner was afraid that the audience would laugh at it, which I am laughing at right now just thinking about it. So probably a good call. Well, a few years after this. There was a little Stephen King adaptation called The Lawnmower Man. Yeah. Was it after this? It was, I think it was it, before this. No, no. It was definitely after this. It was, was it? It was 90s Pierce Brosnan all the way. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan and... <laughs> and oh, uh, Jeff Fahey. Yeah. Jeff Fahey. Oh, I love Jeff Fahey. Yeah. But there was just ridiculousness all over that stuff when yeah, it came it to was. That lawnmower one attacks. Yeah. <laughs> Although this wouldn't have been a lawnmower that came alive. That was, wasn't it Jeff Fahey that kind of turned into a lawnmower in Lawnmower Man? Yeah, there's this whole scene where he like lawnmowers somebody's brain right. using cyberspace or something. It's right. just terrible. It's weird. But so watchable. And then Pierce Brosnan is like his neighbor or yeah. something. Yeah, he's really <laughs> strange. All right, well, moving on. I should pick that one. Mm. <laughs> no. It's not. All right. So when Annie demands that Paul burn his manuscript, she lights the paper and we see a close up of the words on the paper, which is an article about Cameron Crowe and how he is an amazing screenwriter. It talks about his movies, but mostly offers praise for Say Anything from 1989. Which is a pretty awesome <laughs> little factoid, I thought. They just burn it. Yeah. Here is... 
the difference I was talking about in the hobbling scene. In the book, Annie cuts off one of Paul's feet with an axe rather than hobbling him and also cuts off a thumb with an electric carving knife when he complains about the typewriter missing a letter. Also, Paul is addicted to Navril, which is a drug that's made up for the book and the movie. Not so in the movie. The ending is quite different in that Paul saves his original manuscript and burns a stack of unused paper with only a cover saying Misery's Return. I don't know. I think it works better in the movie. She says something about, okay, if I'm, forgive me, if I'm, uh, I won't go into it. <laughs> but there's something about the typewriter missing a letter, and she says, well, you know, I'll just cut off your thumb so you can type it or something to that effect. It's just gross. Yeah, because that makes She's sense. Weird. It, okay, like everything <laughs> makes sense. And then I'll read the next part because I think it's hilarious. Okay. I found this on IMDb. And uh, she has a pig named Misery. It has a credit on IMDb. And Woody Anders, who I'd like to thank profusely, wrote this mini biography. <laughs> Misery the pig rates highly as one of the best, most charming, and natural poor sign thespians to ever grace the screen. Big, round, and pink, but still quite pretty and appealing just the same. She gave an absolutely convincing and masterful performance as herself in the outstanding 1990 Stephen King adaptation, Misery. Alas, this picture proved to be Misery's sole foray into feature film acting. <laughs> Thank you, Woody Anders. Bravo. Yes. Brilliant. Well, well said. <laughs> Sorry, I just found that super amusing. Yeah. I love when people write stuff like that on IMDb. Yeah. So funny. And I'm guessing that same person actually added that credit. <laughs> so, amazing. That's awesome. Well, getting into the film itself, where to start? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could I, you could say that the big crux of the film is once we're in the house and Annie Wilkes has saved yeah. Paul. I mean, it does. it starts with a little bit of information. You see he finishes a book. Uh, he stacks the papers, he writes the end on it, and uh, he has a glass of Dom Perignon and a cigarette. Right. Which is nice little setup for later because mm -hmm. almost immediately he gets in his car and there's a big snowstorm and he crashes. Although it's interspersed with scenes of him talking to his agent, played by Lauren Bacall. They're informing us that he's finished this book. And he's on his way back to New York. Yes, indeed. And this isn't how I remembered it. This is one part that I'd forgotten. <laughs> well, yeah, because the whole part in the house kind of overshadows everything else. Yeah, well, you know, I always remembered it as he just finished writing the last Misery novel where he kills Misery in the end. Mm. And that's why, because I remember the whole scene about her burning it and she's like, you know, we need to rid the world of this filth. And mm. that's not it at all. He'd actually no. already written that book and it was yes, about it to come out. out. Yeah, Right. This is another completely new book about something else. Yes. He'd spent his whole life writing about this character, Misery Chastain, that people mm -hmm. have loved and it's critically acclaimed series of novels. He's actually working on something new, something separate. Right. So that's not how I remembered it. But, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it it hasn't changed. This is exactly how it was in the beginning. Yeah. Just so you know, they didn't go back and edit it. 
It's a Stephen King conspiracy. He's messing with us all or something. <laughs> no, this is his this is his change. He decided to change things up. He was sick of misery. So he wrote the last misery book. They were just about to put it out and this was his <laughs> that was his oh man, Derek Storm. <laughs> and this is his uh Nikki Heat, as it were, for for the Castle fans out there. Dropping references. Dropping Castle references. Nice one. Well, I'm assuming that there might be some Castle listeners since I'm here. Very so. nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he does. He crashes and... Rolls down the hill. Pretty yeah. bad crash. It's a, it's a well-shot crash, too. It is. But um, he is rescued by Annie Wilkes. And you don't even see that it's Annie Wilkes in this scene either because Mm-mm. she... she Rescues the book. Another setup earlier is that he has this old bag, this old leather satchel that uh, he had found. So that's where he, he's kept his novel. So she picks that up and then she just lifts him up on her shoulders and takes mm-hmm. him away. So, you know, from the get-go, when you, when you do find out that it's just this kindly woman or as she presents herself as a kindly woman to him, you always keep that in the back of your mind is that she is physically strong. Yep. And... um that's going to help towards her imposing nature as it comes out mm-hmm. throughout the film, I think. Yeah, and again, with the allegory of it being drugs, where it looks harmless on the outside and then it's just insidious once you get down to the heart of it. I mean, again, if you look at it through the new eyes of him saying it was his battle against drugs, it, it really does take on a, a whole different sort of tinge. It, it really does show that, that deeper meaning. So, yeah, it's a real slow burn, I think, of her true nature coming out throughout the film. Yeah, sure. She she starts off sweet and it's not even like sweet where you go, hmm, that seems weird. It's it's almost like just really genuinely sweet. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you didn't know she was going to turn into this Annie Wilkes, really sinister, weird, super fan weirdness, you would almost think, hey, you know, she really is kind of taking care of him. And oh, Hi, you know, uh, I just I saved you from the car, and you would think she's being nice to him, but of course you know better. It's a Stephen King movie, so <laughs> yes. And I think one of the first things I noticed, you know, trying to think back to the first time I saw it, is when she is explaining to him that she had rescued him, but she can't call for help because the phone lines are down, and she can't get into town because the blizzard is too bad. While she's saying this. You can see the window behind her and it mm-hmm. is clear and it is sunny and you just yep. think that she should be able to get through this right. and find somebody to help this right. man. But, you know, straight after she says all this, there's the reveal of his legs. Right. And that is amazing. It's amazing makeup. Right. And it just, oh, it makes you cringe just looking at it. They're yeah. all purple and bru- bruised and a bit bloody and then she's got these makeshift splints on them oh it's grisly well i'm assuming they're not his legs that like his legs are through the bed and those are fake legs you think so i'm hoping (laughs) it could be just really good makeup i don't know could be well for the scene later those have to be fake legs right yeah well i think by the by the time he gets to the point where he decides he needs to get out of there and he, he gets out of the bed for that first time. I guess they probably don't look as bad because it's already been a few days at that point. So you can understand that maybe they've started to... Sure. They, they, yeah, they've begun they've to heal. They've healed a bit. So they don't need to look as bad. And you're not yeah. you're not really focusing Dude, on Dude, yeah, they either, look so. horrible. <laughs> Ugh. 
Yeah, in that scene too, where he gets out of the bed the first time, like he tries to do it in the worst possible way, doesn't he? Like he goes, he goes no. like top first and puts an arm down, and he's like trying to drag his legs over. I don't think even with bad legs, I would try to do it that way. I'd try to lift my legs up and over first. <laughs> right, any normal person would, I'm guessing. I mean, I've gotten into a wheelchair before, so that's how I did it. Although, yeah, you know what? I did put my butt over first. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't think you'd go arms first on the floor. No, no. It just seems dangerous. First. Yeah, that's dumb. Your arms are not really the thing that you would leave her ever. But whatever. Maybe he thought he was strong. Yeah. But, uh, you know, soon enough, she starts to show her true colors. And, yep. she, oh, man, it's so creepy. I mean, it's, you know, he's already a little on edge from her. He finds her a bit strange. Sure. So when she gets his new book... It's just come out while he's been there and she's reading it and she keeps coming in over a few days telling him, oh, I'm up to chapter five. I'm up to... This is the most brilliant thing ever. Yeah, and the whole time you can see it in his face. He's like, this is not going to end well for me. She's going to get to the end of the book and I don't think she's going to be happy. I don't think he knows that she's going to react as badly as she does, but he knows that she's going to be upset. Yeah, or he's thinking, I wonder how she'll react. But I don't think it's going to be good. Yeah, and it comes to a head on the scene. He it's he wakes up. Yeah, he, he wakes up in bed to find her standing over him, mm-hmm. and she's just so creepy. Yeah, she just does that. You dirty bird. Yeah. I mean, the, like God. the language she uses in this is hilarious. Know. You know, she's trying not to you swear. You know, the trying not to swear is creepier than swearing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And she is just. She's just gone. She has lost yeah. it. You know, this is a character that she's loved reading. And she's fan in the truest sense of the word, in that she's fanatic. Yes. You know, it is just, she is crazy. Literally yeah. fan. And she cannot stand that her favorite literary character is dead. She cannot accept it. No, and this is what turns the tide. Yes. In the, in the movie. Yes. Well, you know, before this, she has read his other book that he was working right. on. Because she did rescue it. And she threw out criticism on it. And he tried to defend the book. Well, sure, but it wasn't over the top. This was the, this was the point where she just went nuts on him. Yeah, exactly. You know, he kind of got a glimpse from her when she was trying to critique his other book, mm-hmm. um, especially about things like language. Mm-hmm. And I th- that's what put him on edge. There's one big bastard of a chick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, she just goes look. She's spilling look what you soup on do. him. Yeah, so. You know, it's just, like I said, it's that slow crawl up to complete insanity. And then, of course, things start happening. Like, she wants to burn that manuscript. She cannot accept that Misery is dead. And she she insists that he sit down and write another Misery novel mm-hmm. that brings her back. And um, this is where you start getting him sort of, like, I guess... Trying to I'm test the limit. Just talking about yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know about you, but aren't you a little, <laughs> a little bit? Yeah, but you know, yeah. he starts testing the limits. You know, yeah. of things just like, oh, I don't like using this paper because it smudges. You know, and yeah, oh, that sends her over. Yeah, that. so he needs yep. to know where those limits are. Yeah, and um, a lot of the time he just gets it completely wrong. Yeah, because it doesn't. Quite wrong. Yeah, it doesn't work well for him. No, and she has locked him in his room, and of course, you know, he's written about how to get out of rooms, but he hasn't tried it. 
in practicality, but he finds a bobby pin and he, he tries to get out. And what I like is when he says under his breath, I've written about this. I should really be able to do it. And he's That's a great fiddling line. around. I know. I love it. And he fiddles around in the lock and all of a sudden it opens and he's just like, he's amazed that it's open. <laughs> just gobsmacked right? that it worked. I know. I know. <laughs> and of course, you know, Annie's out. He has waited till Annie has gone out to do this. And he knows he has free reign in the house as long as he can go places where his wheelchair can go. And he goes out and he, he looks all around the house. Is this, this is the time where he gets or he finds her pills? Is this the time that he finds her pills yes. and he looks around? And, and then he goes back in the room. He doesn't do very much, right? Yeah. Just, and that's, that's, yeah. A, that's a good thing, too, because it sets up that there's a deadbolt on the front door. And right. then he tries to get to the back kitchen door, um, <laughs> and which is very difficult because he's also got a broken arm. Right. So he's got no legs and a broken arm. So he's just right. pulling it along. And it's great when he gets back to the room because it's that suspenseful thing. She's coming and he's trying to get back into the room. And she yep. walks in and, uh-oh, he's just covered in sweat. Yeah. And she says, what You're What are sweating. you doing? And he just lets loose on it. What do you think I've been doing in here? Oh, my pain. I need pain. my pain medicine. Yeah. 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 And it's like she buys that, you know? Well. Like before, all he said was that the paper smudged. And she lost right. it. And then as soon as she comes back, he's yelling at her. And she's just well, like, she, she, it's that kind of thing, you know? Is that's that he, her he, nurturing yeah. instinct. Yeah, he says he's in pain and stuff like that. And she's suddenly mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I need to help you. But outside right. of that, she's just always losing it at him. Right. When she threw the paper well, down on his legs as well. Oh, yeah, ouch, ouch. That's all I can say. I had a broken leg about, what, four? Uh, four years, six years earlier than this. Um, Shattered, by the way. It was really bad. And it was on my chart, don't move her leg. And a nurse came in and moved my leg. And I jumped like five feet above the bed. (sighs) So I can't imagine having two broken legs and having someone throw a ream of paper on it. I just cannot. (laughs) I can't imagine. So that had to hurt. That had to hurt. And I was taking medicine, too. I was on morphine. And I doubt that he was on anything that strong. Yes, this this but, novel pills. Yeah, mythical novel. Yeah, that's uh, that was a really close call. I thought, but it was her nurturing instinct. It was the nurse in her, and she wanted to take care of him. He knew that yeah. that she wanted to take care of him, and the smudge thing was her wanting to take care of him, and him kind of you know pushing away that. Yeah, being unappreciative. Right, and this was a way. For him to show her, you know, hey, you can take care of me again. Yeah. I'm in a lot of pain. So this was the opposite sort of, even if he's yelling, it's him being dependent on her. Yeah. So I think that was why it was accepted that he was yelling. It was really, that was tension filled though. But while all this is going on, we do get interspersed scenes of the local sheriff. Yep. And um, his attempts to, to find out what, happen because he gets a phone call from Paul's agent. Lauren Bacall. The great Lauren Bacall. And And he's on the case. It's a really good scene between the two of them because she's not sure whether she's being overprotective or not because she does know about his rituals in, you know, him... He does this, he does that, he checks out, and then he goes straight home. Yeah. And then she's worried, and she's like, oh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have called. And they both kind of have this niggling sort of, hmm, yeah, maybe there's something going on. Yeah. And the sheriff himself, 
you know, I have to say, he's almost like the trope small town sheriff. Mm-hmm. The, you know, just this old guy who doesn't really do anything because it's a small town and nothing really happens. But I think this character doesn't quite fall into that trope because, and I have to say, it's it's because of the way the actor plays it. You know, yeah. there's all the great stuff with his wife, uh, who is his deputy. Yeah, I love her. And I love him too. So that makes for a great relationship there. You know, his investigation, you know, it makes you think that he's totally into it. I mean, he's doing all kinds of stuff throughout. Like, he's reading the books and he's trying to learn more about the man who's missing to, uh, to I, mm-hmm. I guess, maybe get into his frame of mind. Like, what would he do if he crashed his car and then had to crawl out? Right. Because they just say, like, if he crawled out of the car, then he's probably dead. He's just frozen. and mm-hmm. But he doesn't buy that because of the crowbar that was used to pry right. open the door. So, you know, he's, he's, quite, he's quite on it. Yeah. Ultimately, he's the one who figures it out. Right, from the quote, which is... I find super interesting Mm. that it's a quote from the book. And um, I love the scene where his wife is cleaning up his desk. (laughs) Yes. And he starts yelling at her, what are you doing? I know where everything is. Yes, and then he rummages around, finds the quote that he'd yeah. written down. There it is, right where I said it was. <laughs> you know, a man after my own heart. I'm the same. I may look messy, but I know where everything is. I'm like her. I have everything at right angles. <laughs> I'm so OCD. My desk is, it might have some dust on it, but it's like there's nothing. It's just what I need. That's it you know nothing else yeah so he's he's really good and of course he shows up at the Wilkes farm well wait there's that scene there's a really important scene where he sees her in the street ah yes with a close call with a with a neighbor and he kind of shakes his head at her because she unswears at the guy right and that's what puts her in his head as being Mm. kind of an odd duck yes and that's you know i I get the impression that the people in the town don't really know Annie Wilkes. She kind of just keeps to herself out yeah. on her farm. Right. She's on the fringes. Yeah. And there is, of course, the scene too, because there's a second time that Paul gets out of the room and he finds all these paper clippings, finds out her backstory yeah. about these mysterious child deaths at a maternity ward. Right. And that she was implicated in them and probably went to prison for a, sh- a short time. Yeah, not just child deaths, though. It was almost like she was an angel of mercy first. Yeah, and it does also imply that she may have killed her husband mm-hmm. and made it look like an accident or a suicide. Right. Jumped off of a cliff or something, and then a couple of her patients died that were regular, yeah. you know, not babies, like adults, and then babies after babies after babies and then she was indicted and then she was there wasn't like enough evidence and then she was let go. Yeah. Ugh. And now apparently what it seemed to me to be is that she's hiding out here. Like, you know, she's not on the run from the law, but she's just like, you know, trying to Stay on the down low yeah. in this town. And it, it's interesting that the, you know, the sheriff had that quote and then he goes and finds the article. And mm-hmm. it makes you think that maybe the sheriff knew about her history. Yeah. And as a man of the law, I guess you must respect uh, a jury or a court's decision. Sure. Um, because, you know, obviously she's free. She's not in prison. So he right. kind of knows her backstory, but... She kind of just stays on that farm and she doesn't really, she only comes into town for some groceries or whatever. Right. So she doesn't, she's not really part of the town. So, so nobody yeah. ever she really thinks herself, of her. She keeps herself, I can't do anything. I'm just going to 
letter B. Yeah. Yeah. So when he puts it together, he sees her in town, starts to think, uh-oh, you know, we've got this. Goes and talks to the store guy. Yeah, we've got this missing writer and she's buying paper. Yeah. And of course she has an answer for that, too. Yes. God told me I was going to take take up where he left off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's great because you think, oh, you know, he's on it. He's he's going to save the day. Nope. Yeah, no. <laughs> Paul calls out to him. He's standing at the top of the steps. Bang. Shotgun oh, right to the back. Oh, man. That was the part of the movie that I my heart just dropped Ugh. the first time I saw it. Yeah. And I thought, okay, number one, he doesn't get saved there, right? Because yeah. that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and then number two, one of the best characters in the movie bites it. Because he's fantastic. He is. And now, you know, the the woman's a widow. Yeah. It's a heart-wrenching scene. I know. I hated it. But, you know, for the sake of the movie, it is quite brilliant. Yeah. To drive that it's suspense. Shocking. It's a shocking twist in a movie that it it's uh, the time in the movie is about right for a shocking twist. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I hate to say that, but it was kind of necessary for this movie to put that there. Yeah. And uh, then it it pretty much leads to Annie being ready to kill Paul and then kill herself. But um, that scene at the top of the stairs, yeah, so creepy. And that leads to pretty much him. He gets out of it because he says, "Well, I've got to finish Misery's Return. I've got to write that book." (laughs) We were meant to be together. And he uses that against her yep. because he gets uh, his, Smart. yeah, he gets his Dom Perignon, he gets his cigarette, and then he says, hey, this time we need two glasses. <gasps> she leaves the room. And she giggles like a schoolgirl, yeah. which again, <laughs> creepy. So she leaves the room to get a wine glass and he sets that book on fire. And again, this is a mirror to another scene that we kind of glossed over, but it's only important in the fact that he has stolen that novel in his second foray out. He stole a bunch of the novel pills and he put them in a little envelope that he made out of the paper. Um, You know, he emptied them out and put the, the powder from them in a packet and he asks her to dinner one night. Because he just knows that she'll want to have dinner with him. And, you know, sets it all up so that he can put a bunch of this sleeping... Uh, it's not sleeping. It's, um, you know, pain medicine. Puts a bunch of it in her wine. And then she ends up spilling it <laughs> onto the tablecloth. And, of course, you know, his face falls. Yeah. But getting the second glass is a mirror of that scene. And it is essentially her downfall in the last scene yeah. whereas it's not her downfall in the first scene and there's actually some controversy about the first scene as to whether she knows it's in there because it is she already knows he's gotten out of his room in that first scene yeah she just hasn't confronted him about it she doesn't know about all the stuff she doesn't know that he's found her uh, scrapbook mm. yet so there's some controversy about that about the novel so it's an interesting mirror for one and then it also has to do with you know a, a big talking point about the movie but in anyway the yeah. champagne but I t- yeah, I totally agree uh, with your point there. But, uh, you know, it does lead to this brutal fight at the end. Oh, 
and you know she she's throwing down and he's just palming her in the in the nose breaking her nose and she's all bloody and she's screeching and they're rolling around it is a brutal fight between the two of them yeah pretty ironic that he hits her in the head with the typewriter <laughs> yes <laughs> but um you know he ultimately wins she does yep. come back for one last thing like he thinks he's killed her <laughs> with course. the typewriter but i mean isn't that how it works yeah always <laughs> but uh ultimately he kills her yep she's uh she's gone and uh yep. you know i think really looking back on it that's the only way he was going to get out of there yeah definitely she would he have killed kill him yeah. if she if he didn't kill her so yeah and also she they make a big point of the fact that there's two bullets in the gun mm-hmm. and those both go off yeah. before the fight happens. One of them hits him yeah. in the shoulder and it could have killed him if it went off in his neck. So that's a near hit. A lot of people say near miss, but that bugs me. It's a near hit and the other one just goes off. Yeah. You know, wildly. So you could say that they were actually meant for each of them. He got hit with one and the one for her missed, but he ended up killing her. So the bullet that went off wildly ended up killing her anyway because he killed her. But it is a great ending so, to the yeah. film. So oh, that's it's the whole movie is so full of tension. Yeah, and to culminate in a fight scene like that, man, and words killed her in the end. <laughs> right, it's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a heavy object and he uses it as a weapon. You know, yeah, very poignant. But yeah, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful film. And it's like I was saying about last week's film, where that was quite a different story for Stephen King, but at least it had, you know, the psychic stuff in it. Mm-hmm. This this is nothing supernatural at all. No, no no supernatural in it. Nope. So this is definitely a few gears back for Stephen King, you know. This is just straight horror, fanaticism, suspense. And Gore. It's, yeah, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful yeah. film. Yeah. And of course, the hobbling. Yeah. Where they cut off his foot in the book. In this book, she puts a block of wood between his ankles and uses a metal mallet to break both ankles. And it's shown in great detail in the movie. Yeah. So if you have not watched this movie and you're just listening to the podcast and you do not care to see something like that. Just listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must be said that you only actually see her do one foot. One. Still. <laughs> the second one is just implied, but the sound design yeah. is, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very explicit, Yeah, this movie. Um, <laughs> as far as Stephen King movies go, this is one that it may not be the most gory, but it is definitely the most sinister gory. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah. personally. Because it is, it's one of those, like, she just, she knows him so well, and she knows what's going to get him. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And one of the things that really I thought was so vindictive on his part in the end for all the stuff she does to him is when she comes back in the room and he's got that paper rolled up and he says, you know what's on this paper? And he details all the stuff that he (laughs) has left, all the mysteries that he left out of all the books. (laughs) And then he sets it on fire so she'll never know what any of it is. Does she choose this guy or that guy? Who's her her mother? You'll never know. (laughs) He sets it on fire. And it's almost gleeful the way he does it and she tries to 
put it out and she gets set on fire and that starts the rolling around mm. on the floor sort and he launches himself out of the of the wheelchair launches himself out of the wheelchair at her yeah and that's you know part of what makes that scene so tense is just how physical it is mm. of a man who is literally hobbled being physical yeah so i mean if you watch this when you didn't know it was his struggle with drugs on the screen already it's intense and then knowing it's about his battle with drugs <laughs> i mean that's crazy intense i mean that's his fight with drugs right there yeah on the screen so yeah it's crazy and then of course it ends with him talking to his agent and his agent saying it's your most brilliant book ever you're gonna win you know this this and this and and of course you know he sees the waitress walking down the aisle thinking it's annie wilkes because he sees her everywhere. It's like PTSD. And it's not, you know, because Annie's dead. And the waitress says, I'm your bi- I'm your number one fan. <laughs> Want some cake? Here's a knife. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the look at his face, too, where he just smiles and says, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And that's how it ends. Yeah. Because, you know, he has to put on that brave face. Yeah. But, well, did you have any final thoughts on Misery. You know, it's not a movie you want to watch over and over again. <laughs> I have to say that. But rewatching it, there's something about it that yeah. I love. I had a great I time. I just, with I it. can't watch it over and over again, like I said. It's good once every 10 years. Yes. <laughs> and I have fond memories of it. Yes, indeed. Fond. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I'm saying, right? (laughs) It's enjoyable regardless. Right. Well, before we get into ratings, uh, let's take a minute and hear from a friend of our show, Triplecast, and Golden Spiral Media in general. He's one of our awesome Patreon supporters, Jeff Gentry, a.k.a. X-Force 11. So for the month of February, we're taking a look at some one-on-one conversations we recently had with some of our Patreon supporters and trying to get to know them a little bit better and what they like about Golden Spiral Media. So here's a bit of a conversation that Brian recently had with Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11. All right, so so what's your favorite GSM podcast? Well, see, that's a hard <laughs> thing because that's like asking because it's about the people. So that's yeah, good point. that's the hard part. Although I will say it's Aero Squad because <laughs> the community around Aero Squad is really great. But you know, the cool thing is, I just uh, started listening to stuff I learned yesterday. Awesome. Uh, just started getting in touch with those people and that group, and that's been a fun thing to add because it's just totally different from. A genre TV podcast, so it's been a lot of fun. Nice, but besides uh, Aero Squad and stuff I learned yesterday, what other other favorites do you have on GSM? I mean, Aero Squad, Central City Underground stuff I learned yesterday, and Triple Cast. I listen to all of those. I try to get to um, Gotham un- Undercover, and I try to get to uh, The Devil You Know too. All right. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you, listeners, for considering becoming a Patreon supporter. Every little bit counts, not only to our show, 
Triple Cast, but every show on the Golden Sparrow Media Podcast Network. All the stuff that we put out every week for you guys. So uh, we appreciate any support you can give. That's right. Like the Arrow Podcast or Person of Interest or, I don't know, Witness Prophecies. Mm, Chester's Milk Gazette. Gazette. <laughs> All that other stuff. All right. So what is your rating for Misery? I give it nine ink smudges. Awesome. I'm giving it 8.5 missing ends. <laughs> I really enjoyed returning to it. I really, really did. Good. I'm glad I picked some interesting movies. Oh, definitely. Okay, so what happened next? Well, James Kahn, he went on to For the Boys, Honeymoon in Vegas, The Program, Bottle Rocket, Eraser, Bulletproof, Mickey Blue Eyes, The Way of the Gun, Elf, and Get Smart. And Kathy Bates, she went on to At Play in the Fields of the Lord, Prelude to a Kiss, Used People, Dolores Claiborne. Another Stephen King movie. Yeah. Diabolique, The War at Home, Titanic, Rat Race, American Outlaws, Dragonfly, About Schmidt. Failure to launch, P.S. I Love You, The Blind Side, and Tammy. She's working. I know. She's in her Crazy, right? Oh, she did that one season of American Horror Story as well. Yeah. If you're an American Horror Story fan, great show. She had a great role. I know. Amazing. Yeah. So Richard Farnsworth, who played the sheriff, um, unfortunately, he didn't live much longer than this. He died in the year 2000. But between then and 2000, he did Havana, Highway to Hell, The Getaway, great movie, the 1994 version of Lassie, <laughs> and The Straight Story. Mm. And Francis Sternhagen, as I mentioned earlier, has been on Broadway several times since then. And movie-wise, she was in Doc Hollywood. Again, a really great movie yeah. with Michael J. Fox. Raising Kane, It All Came True. Landfall, Highway, The Mist. Ooh, is that King. The Mist with the... Yeah, Stephen mm. King. Julie and Julia. Oh, a wonderful movie. Dolphin Tale, and so it goes. And she played Cliff's mother on Cheers. If you're <laughs> wondering what you know her from, <laughs> she played Cliff's mother on Cheers. That A lot of people know her from that. So. Yeah. <laughs> and she's still around to this day. Yep, yep. Going strong. To this day, yep. And... Lauren Bacall. She went on to A Star for Two, All I Want for Christmas, Ready to Wear, The Mirror Has Two Faces, My Fellow Americans, Presence of Mind, Diamonds, Dogville, These Foolish Things, Wide Blue Yonder, and The Forger. She also did some voices on American Dad. <laughs> I didn't know that. What's the other one? That's, Family that's Guy. the more famous one. Family Guy, yes. And of course, you know, before this, Lauren Bacall was in a gazillion things. Mm -hmm. I mean, much more famous stuff. Oh, yeah. Going back uh, to like the 50s. Before then, the 30s. Really? I think. Jeez. Yeah, I think so. Let's see. What's her first movie? Lauren Bacall. Yeah, Family Guy, by the way, was her last credit. 1944, To Have and Have Not. There you go. What a huge movie. As your first credit. Yeah. To Have and Have Not, Key Largo, Young Man with a Horn, How to Mar Marry a Millionaire. I mean, just crazy. Blythe Spirit. Wow. I mean, she's just, she was amazing. Yeah. I really, I miss her. I know she didn't do a lot lately, but wow. Yeah. And uh, Mark Shaman, this is, you just had his name on here, but I put a few things because I know he's been in a lot of things as well, but he composed Sister Act. Um, he composed soundtracks for A Few Good Men, Sleepless in Seattle, 
the American president, which we mentioned last week, so I thought I'd bring that in. Awesome. Um, and he wrote the songs for South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. <laughs> and he did the soundtrack for Down With Love and Hairspray. That's awesome. And he also appeared as an actor in Hot Shots, exclamation point, <laughs> uh, The Wedding Planner, Down With Love, Hairspray, and he did a voice on South Park. So uh, I think he's a very interesting guy. Yeah, he had, had a pretty awesome career. He works a lot with Bette Midler. He has gone on the road with Bette Midler before. So he composes a lot of her music and mm. all kinds of stuff. So, And you wrote some... Uh, movies in the same vein and I added some so you do yours and then I'll do mine all right so for the same vein we've got Dolores Claiborne It Pet Cemetery, Cape Fear Needful Things The Shining Diabolique and What Lies Beneath I agree with those yeah so a, few, a few Stephen King in there Cape Fear for sure Dol- Dolores Claiborne 100% I want to add these they're kind of stalkery movies single white female one Hour Photo, Taxi Driver, and Fatal Attraction, mm, I think. Good call. Yeah. Especially on the One, on one Hour Photo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I want to be like your perfect family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. An, an that, underrated Robin Williams performance, I think. Yeah. He, he was really good in that role. Yeah. Um, if you could call it good. <laughs> but, Yeah. It's going to be one he's remembered for. All right. Well, let's move on to Name That Movie. (sighs) Now, it's the time of the show where we like to stump the host. Oh, yeah. We play a little game. And no two are ever the same. And that's how we like it. It's fun and exciting. You might even say that it's groovy. It's Name That Movie. You're going to get me again because I don't know any of Adam Sandler's movies. It's Adam Sandler again, right? Yeah, well, we're picking up at Click, which starred Adam Sandler yeah. from last week. So, uh, unfortunately... <laughs> I know. This next movie is also going to have Adam Sandler in it. I know. And it is a ridiculous comedy where he plays his own sister. Oh, okay. Hold on a minute. <laughs> I've got three clues, remember, so you can ask for clues. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this movie, though. I just have to try and think of the name. (laughs) Well, it is about sibling rivalry. Yeah. I know he plays his twin. I know this movie. (laughs) You want another clue? No, I know the movie. Hold on a minute. (laughs) It's like something and something. He and she or brother and sister or... Well, I'll give you the second clue. Okay. Both of those... Uh, people's names. Jack and Jill. Yes. <laughs> that you. wasn't one of the clues I had written down, but you were like so close. So I was like, well, I'll give you a clue on the actual name. Okay, good. Very good. Look at you. So you didn't even think you were going to get it because you don't like Adam Sandler. The guy, he used to be a disc jockey. Now he has a podcast. He likes Adam Sandler movies. And this is one that he made a big deal about that he said was going to be a huge hit. Oh. And of course it wasn't at all a huge <laughs> hit. But the people he works with kind of still tease him about it. So Yeah. Well, the other two clues I had there were it co-stars Katie Holmes and it also co-stars Al Pacino. Al Pacino? Yeah. Oh, dude. (laughs) Dude. I mean, Katie Holmes, whatever. But Al Pacino, man. Yeah. He and De Niro really are... Mm, plumbing big time. <laughs> well, we will pick it up next week. 
at Jack and Jill. Another Adam Sandler movie next week. All right, so getting on to the triple quote. Last week we had, I'm a ghost with the most, babe, and that was from Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. And, yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to say it more than three times if I'm going to read what our winners have written. <laughs> All right, so our winners this week... Our good friend, Jeff Chantry. You heard from him before. Yay. Hi, Jeff. We love you, Jeff. He writes, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Bet. Oh, uh-huh. no, I'm smarter than that. Dancing in the air to Harry Belafonte's fun, though. Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> Tying it back to South Park earlier. Very nice. <laughs> Thank you. And we also have uh, Tara Dameron. She writes, Beetlejuice. Question mark. <laughs> so she wasn't quite sure, but she got it. Yeah, well done, Tara. Good job, Tara. And Alex Romat writes Beetlejuice. <laughs> Exclamation, Exclamation point! point. <laughs> Good job. So Alex. he was excited to be getting it right. That's Good right, Alex. and he knew for sure. Yeah. Good job, getting Alex. in there. All right. So this week's quote is. Did you ever flashy thing me? I know, so, I know. Oh, don't say it though. Because the listeners go to play at home. I know. So they can do that on Twitter using the hashtag GSM triple quote so we can find you. And we can give you a shout on a shout out on the show, just like Jeff, Tara, and Alex. All right, so we should give out some contact information, I think. I think that would be good if you want them to actually contact you. So you can leave us feedback at goldenspowermedia.com slash feedback. You can type out an email or leave us a voice message using the SpeakPipe widget right there. Alternatively, you can call the GSM voice feedback line 304-837-2278. You can follow our show on Twitter at TripleCastGSM or follow Golden Spiral Media at GSM Podcasts. Also like us on Facebook or join the TripleCast Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash TripleCast. Hey, Corey. Yeah. You know, they can do all of those things. Doesn't have to be or. And or. That's right. And slash or. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe, give us a rate and review on iTunes, always very helpful. And you can find all of Golden Spiral Media's shows by going to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Very simple. That's right. If you rate and review or rate and or review it'll put the podcast up a little bit more and have people notice it which is always good yeah more listeners that's right (laughs) and how can they get in touch with you guys at chester's mill gazette you can reach us at c mill gazette gsm on twitter that's awesome great share and i can't wait until we talk about the green mile next week the Green Mile, that's up next week. Very exciting. Yep. A really, really touching movie. I'm I'm sure I'm going to be crying as I watch it. <laughs> Always makes me cry. Well, if you want to find out if Karen's been crying, then tune in next week. <laughs> There's no mystery there. I'll be crying. But you should tune in anyway. I think so. Some great Stephen King going on here at TripleCast this set. So we'll hope you'll join us. So... Until next time, I'm going to play my Liberace records all day to inspire you. I see what you did there. There's no ends. And a glass of Don Perignon so we can toast. Triplecast is a production of Golden Spiral Media. Intro and outro music is provided by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com. 
For more information about this or other Golden Spiral Media podcasts, visit goldenspiralmedia.com. For advertising and support opportunities, visit goldenspiralmedia.com slash support. Copyright 2015, Golden Spiral Media.